Thanks for joining us today on RV Tech Talk, a podcast produced by the National RV Training Academy that is devoted to discussing ways to keep RVs in tip-top shape and ways to make money fixing or inspecting recreation vehicles. My name is Greg Gerber, your host for today's show. Today we'll be talking with a mobile service technician who upped his game by attending classes at the National RV Training Academy. The episode is sponsored by WorkCamper News, a magazine and online publication that connects RVers to full and part-time jobs around the country. Whether it is running a business from your RV or working short-term jobs for a variety of employers, WorkCamper News can give you information to help you plan a course, to live your own dream, and get you on the road faster than you thought possible. For more information about opportunities to live, work, and play in your RV, visit www.workcampernews.com. Paul Witherspoon is a veteran who went to Florida to visit his wife's parents who were work camping at an RV park. While there, he saw potential to make a great living as a mobile RV technician. A chance encounter with an RV dealer looking to start a mobile RV service business in 1995 opened the door for him to get a job right over the military. He didn't have any real formal training other than a few vendor classes along the way. Most of Paul's training was self-taught as he took apart components to see what was wrong with them and then reassembled the units after making a repair. When his son wanted to become an RV technician as well, they both attended the National RV Training Academy. In the process, both Paul and his son became certified RV technicians. He started his own mobile service business in the Florida Keys, which was essentially an untapped market for mobile repairs. Since then, he has moved his business to Texas. He talks about the need to run an ethical repair operation and how he and his wife divide duties to run a successful company. Paul also explains how he liked the business training he got from the NRVTA and how it helped him become more profitable. To tell us more about his company and what he does for a living, please welcome Paul Witherspoon to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. I really appreciate it. Tell us a little about yourself and your background and the business that you started. Uh, my name is Paul Witherspoon II. Uh, after I got out of the military, I uh, had went down to the Florida Keys to visit my wife's parents that uh, had become work campers down there. And I saw the amount of RVs and the lack of people that worked on them. And it just so happened that a gentleman came to the island that had a large dealership in Georgia and was looking to open a mobile business and he and I talked for a long time and uh, I got very interested in the RVs and uh, that was in 1995 and one thing led to another and I started putting myself through all kinds of schools and classes and a lot of hands-on self-taught how to fix RVs out in the field not having the luxuries of a big dealership concrete floor and uh, roof over my head mm-hmm. and so how'd, how'd you teach yourself by just getting in and tearing things apart and figuring out how they worked and what made them work and what made them to where they would not work and uh the easiest and quickest way to make them work what motivated you to get training then at the national rv training academy i don't terry oh since Back in 2000, um, I used to have to come from Florida to uh, Waco to renew my certifications. And uh, so he and I just talked a whole lot. And I, my son um, 
got interested in the business. And so I had him go through the training and I just went for a refresher course because I went to uh, retake my certifications and I've always wanted to my master's, but I'm horrible at taking tests. I'm a hands-on kind of guy. And so I always missed my master's by one question, a half a question. And I just wanted to refresh her. And so I went up there and spent the day with Terry. Okay. Does your son work with you? Uh, he does work for me. Yes, sir. Super. How old is he? He is 21 now. Okay. Very good. Was the training that you got at the academy helpful, would you say, in preparing you for being a mobile tech? Um, well, I was already a mobile tech. I've been a mobile tech since, like I said, back in the 95 uh, is when I started doing it. Um, but it definitely helped with seeing changes and stuff that the RVIA is, is doing and uh, implementing different um, things into the testing, such as uh, how they word things and the questions they ask. So, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to go through is to be able to understand the logistics of their questions and make sure that I understood the most up-to-date um, information. You had mentioned that test taking tests was not one of the things that you were really good at. Did the training help you prepare for those tests? It did. Is there anything that's... Yeah, it, it, uh, it, it brought out, unfortunately, in the test, the way that they word things and they put in double negatives to try to equal a positive, so they get you to going around in a circle to end up missing the question basically mm -hmm. um, because it's just someone at a desk trying to uh, create a question. It's not somebody that's actually been out in the field and done those jobs. That's a good point. Was there anything in the training that stood out as being truly beneficial? Like I said, just the knowledge of how they ask the questions and knowing the newest updated, uh, like they changed, for example, GFCIs from three to five percent, and now they have it four to seven percent. And so, if I wouldn't have went through and took the, the the extra time in the class, that would have been a question that I would have got wrong on the test. Okay, that makes sense. I understand that a lot of things have changed with the components on board in RV. Did you find the training helpful in, in bringing you up to speed to changes that have been made and like slide outs and uh, things like that? Um, a lot of that I've already, I go through Lippard and I go through uh, twin tech training. And I, so we try to keep ourselves up to speed on all of that and make sure that we're going through the manufacturers uh, classes and stuff. So it was a good refresher, um, and that's good for people that haven't had, like my son, he really enjoyed the class um, and getting the hands-on and getting in there because, I, uh, like I said, I've got a lot of experience in the industry, so it, it was a good refresher. What prompted you to start your own business? That's a pretty bold move. There was no one doing it 
in the Florida Keys where I was. And so it was a niche that I saw could be filled and someone could do very well at it. And so I went for it. And the Florida Keys stretches, isn't that like 50 miles? Uh, 90. 90 miles. Are you still there? Uh, no, we've moved back to Texas. I go back there, have customers fly us back there sometimes to do jobs. Um, but we have moved back to Texas. You have customers in the Florida Keys who will actually pay for your airfare to get you back there to fix their RV. That's incredible. Yes, sir. That indicate that there's a sh- severe shortage of technicians? It does. <laughs> I well, suppose- not, the, not that there's so much of a shortage. Is there's a lack of professionalism in the ones that are down oh. there. The, that's the sad thing is in this industry, and it's at the dealerships too, is there's unfortunately people that will lie, steal, and cheat. And I don't need to do that. I, I teach my son the same thing. My name means something to me, and I like going to sleep at night knowing that I haven't cheated anybody. That's a very good point, Paul. And I would imagine that developing that reputation for being an honest repair person really propels your business to the top of the list, especially with word-of-mouth advertising. It does. What is your typical day-to-day experience like when you're out here? I know today you're busy working on batteries. Um, Well, I just got through um, doing a big radiator job on a big diesel pusher. Um, Then I'm doing a basement AC. Yeah, I satellites, I... Each day, the beginning to the end is something different. So, How many customers would you say you serve every day? Um, on a typical basis, between me and my son um, and the shop, we probably two to six. Two to six? What prompted you or, or, or motivated you to move back to Texas from the beautiful Florida Keys? My wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> she, she wanted to. She wanted to come back. Okay. So. Very good. And running a business, has that been a challenge for you? It has. the uh, Because in our industry, it's not just the fact of going and doing a job, you know, because I also do warranty and extended warranties and insurance. And, you know, I file all the paperwork for the customers. And so you've you've got a lot of moving aspects of the business that if you don't stay on top of it'll just get away from you does your wife help you at all with the billing and invoicing and maintaining records she does she does all my office work so we we use quickbooks as well so she does all of the invoicing and puts it into quickbooks and that way our accountants and everybody has all of it right there at the fingertips. So you folks are in a fixed location. You're not mobile in that you're in an RV and traveling around the country and trying to find work. You're in that particular area of Texas. What part? Uh, we cover all surrounding areas of San Antonio and Austin and the coast. Okay. And the coast. Well, wow, that's, that's a big area. Now, how, how do you market a your business to an area that wide? Um, all of the campgrounds, 
I go and I get into their flyers, their maps, their site maps. So that way, every single person that comes into their campground gets one of those site maps. And then I'm right there uh, to where they're looking at me. And that way, if they need anything, there I am. And then uh, the parks uh, send me a lot of work, too, because I take care of most of their staff. So I get in good with the staff, and uh, they send me a lot of work. That's excellent. Great way to build a business. Now, when people go to an RV dealership, the wait time to get an appointment is somewhere between two and six weeks. Is that how long people have to wait to get service from you as well? Uh, that's if they're lucky. Down here, they're waiting. I, this customer that I just did yesterday was told that they couldn't get them in until the end of January. Um, so I try to get my customers in and out. So normally people don't have a two-day wait for me to have someone there working on their stuff. Well, that that kind of wait down in Texas would indicate to me that they're screaming for mobile technicians down there. Is there plenty of opportunity? There is. Um, like I said, the problem is, is that the people that – a lot of these guys that start a mobile business other than myself have bounced from every dealership there is and then they decide to open up their own business and they send me a lot of work because they get bad names and they don't do very well work. That's why they went from dealership to dealership. Mm -hmm. So that's the one sad thing in the, the mobile industry is that you get technicians that aren't very good technicians that run around and take people's money. What should consumers look for then when they're looking to hire a mobile technician? Um, that they're licensed and insured. And, you know, it's like with us, we're the only licensed, insured, certified, and A-plus rated with a Better Business Bureau, period. Wow. That's something None to be... Other, most of these other guys aren't even um, insured, and most of them don't even get their correct licensing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, uh, that's a good point. So when people are looking to get their RV fixed, one of the first questions they should ask is, are you licensed and insured? Because if they're not insured and they mess up a problem with your the RV, my goodness, that could cause uh, consumers to have a lot of headache, I would imagine. Well, the thing that I've got into it with a couple of the guys over is I would ask them, well, you're not insured or bonded or anything. What happens if you mess up their RV? So what are they going to do? They're going to get nothing out of me. Mm -hmm. That's their attitude. Right. And it's sad. That's very unfortunate. So we need more quality, professionally trained, professionally operating mobile service technicians. Exactly. Do you need dealership experience to be a mobile tech? Um, it would help because if you haven't done any paperwork or filing or anything, then you obviously aren't going to understand how to do that part of it. And I'm not saying that a guy can't go right from the school, right into a mobile business, but if they've never been in business whatsoever and have no business experience, it's going to be a rude awakening for them because I mean, between taxes, insurances, 
advertising, it gets very expensive very quick. And if you don't understand how to manage all of that, then you're going to get yourself in over your head and you'll be out of business before you get started. I'm sure it helps to have a wife who is proficient at managing those kind of tasks. It is. Can I, I did it myself for almost 20 years, and uh, finally in the last five, she has uh, started helping me, and it's made a world of difference. I can imagine. It lets you do, like you said, you, you're good with your hands, and you're good at fixing things, so it allows you to do what you do well, and she supports that, and everybody benefits. Yeah, exactly. Is it possible for a mobile service technician to make a decent living? Um, I make a very good living. Um, my son makes a very good living. Um, he works for me, um, running mobile calls. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can, it all depends on you. I mean, I put in a lot of hours. I leave at seven in the morning. Sometimes I don't make it home till one, two o'clock in the morning, but it all depends on the person. If you're not motivated and self-motivated, this is not the thing you want to try to do That's um, because you got to get out and you've got to hustle and you got to move to get jobs done or you end up with a backlog and people finding someone else because you haven't taken care of them. I would imagine that it's also important to hustle and repair or do the jobs right the first time because as a mobile tech, you can't afford to go back if you made a mistake. Exactly. And that's where it gets a lot of people is, and like I said about people in this industry, I follow behind, there's five other mobile guys in this area, and every single one of them I followed behind fixing stuff on because they just refuse to return calls to the customers and go back and fix what they messed up because they know it's going to cost them money. This is very good advice. Yeah, very good advice, Paul. So honesty will build your business more than any other advertising that you could do. Exactly. Do you have any advice for people who are considering uh, getting the training to become a mobile technician? Research the area. The area is your biggest thing. It's like I, I take care of over 20 RV parks around here, and it all depends on your location and your drive. If you only want to do one or two jobs a day, then you need to find an area that you know will cover that for you, or if you want to hustle a lot, then... You need to find a, an area that's going to cover that. It all depends on what someone's willing to do. Mm-hmm. So venturing out on your own is a, a big step is what it seems like you're saying. It's You've got to be committed to doing this and to doing it right. And is the training that important? Oh, it is. I mean, you can't afford to show up to a job, you know, like with us being mobile, we can be 30 miles out in the middle of nowhere and you get out there and you can't fix something. Guess what? You're not getting paid. So you just wasted your driving time. You just wasted all your physical time and now you're out money. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you're not and that's the other sad thing is that some people are more, I'm only going to do satellites or I'm only going to do whatever. And they don't, care about learning anything other than that and they get called out for something totally different they can't fix it some people would say that that if you're going to specialize like that and say that i'm i'm just going to work on satellite systems 
you might not have as much to do. There might not be as many jobs, but you can get in there and get those jobs done very efficiently. But are you saying that people who are specializing in mobile, like, like satellites are also trying to fix other things, or is that just something that consumers expect you're an RV technician, you should be able to fix every component in an RV? Well, if you are going to be a mobile uh, RV technician, you should be able to fix anything on an RV, not just be able to do a satellite because I might do one, two satellites a week. I can't make it off of that. Mm-hmm. So if if someone's wanting to come into this industry and just try to make it off of satellite systems, they'll never make it. Or refrigerators for that, or water heaters, or, or water pumps for exactly. that. Mm-hmm. So it is best to be well-rounded? Exactly, yeah. If you if you can't change a tire to put it in an inverter system to installing a satellite system, a washer and dryer, a generator, whatever, then you'll have a hard time just feeling a niche of, okay, well, I specialize in doing windows. Well, how many windows is somebody going to need in a week mm-hmm. unless we have a bad storm? So that's, that's the one downside to this business is that if you're not well-rounded and you don't catch on to how to do things very quickly, you're not going to make much money. Is it expensive to become a mobile technician? Um, yeah, it is. The the startup, because you, one, got to have whatever you're going to use to do your job, and two, your insurances and your advertising business cards, you know, all of that aspect of it. And the other thing is that you've got to get accounts to be able to get parts or you got to rely on another camping world or somewhere like that to get your parts from. And if you're doing that, you're not making money either. Um, so the cost to be able to get your dealer numbers and with all the different companies, it's, it takes a little while and you have to have a certain amount of buy-in to do it. What do you think the, the minimal parts inventory or value of the parts inventory should be for a mobile tech? I probably on one of my, well, any of my vans at one time between boards and uh, converters and water pumps and the the ACs and stuff that I keep on my van, I I probably have at least $5,000 at any one time of inventory on each one of my vans. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would imagine that it's required to have that much inventory just because when you go out there and a capacitor goes out in an air conditioner and you don't have one on your truck, like you said before, you've wasted a day in a trip or, and now you got to come back out and do it again later after the part arrives. Yes, sir. How do you handle that then? Do you look at all the parts you used that day and then go ahead and replace them automatically? Yes, sir. Yeah, most definitely. The, and what I did 25 years ago is I looked at what the majority of stuff that was wrong or going out or what needed to be fixed. And I said, I'm keeping two of every one of those on my van. 
So I've got two water heater boards for four different style water heaters, for example, and, you know, AC controlled boards and thermostats, uh, just furnace motors. I, you know, so I've got some stuff that I had a basement, Coleman basement air conditioner motor that I've had for a while, brand new, that nobody else had. But since I had it that day, I was able to get this customer in and out, and uh, they were very happy. Mm-hmm. The, can the parts suppliers provide you with a list of the most frequently used parts? I'm sure that you could get with NTP and ask them, you know, what's their most common selling part, and they should be able to um, tell you what that is. Fair enough. So, yeah, I'm sure you you could get that that way. Fair enough. I one of the things that brings down new businesses a lot is taxes, and that they're not prepared for that, or they're not saving for that. Do you have any advice for people who are doing that? How do you handle paying all the taxes? Um, I have a savings account specifically set aside, and all my because you've got sales tax. And then you've got employee tax, and then you've got I carry workman's comp, uh, which a lot of companies do not. Um, so I've got a separate savings account that all my self-tax money goes into, all my employee tax money goes into. And so that way, I'm not looking at my bank account and saying, okay, well, I've got $10,000 sitting in the account right now, so I can go ahead and purchase this, this, and this. And then not know, oh, wait, um, self-tax was in there, and that was Mm $5,000. So I have a separate account, uh, savings account opened up, and I transfer money out of the business account into there every week so that at the quarter when it has to get sent in, I'm not scrambling around to try to find that money. Is it a certain amount or a certain percentage that you suck away? I do whatever the the self-tax for that week was. So, for example, if I did $10,000 in inventory or sales of parts, 8.25% of that is tax money. So I know that $825 needs to be in that account. And it's important to just keep that account for taxes. Don't be spending it on other things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul, this has been... Well, and that's the other thing with small businesses is like I... I've had a lot of trials. I, I built a shop and the guy, well, I paid a guy half the money to build my shop and he took the money and split town. And as a small business, $30,000 disappearing hurts you very bad. Wow. So yeah. Um, but then I ended up shattering my leg and I was laid up for eight months and I couldn't work, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. So that was the other thing that I wasn't ready for. I thought it was Superman and would never get hurt. And so thankfully we had stuff that we could sell in order to keep bills paid. But that's the flip side of being a business. If you are the business and something happens to you, then you got to look at that side of it too. And that's what a lot of people don't do. They don't understand, you know what? They get sick and can't work for a week. They're out money. That's right. So, so it's important to sock away a little bit extra for those kind of contingencies as well. Yes, sir. 
Well, Paul, this has been enlightening. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, what's the website for your company if people wanted to get in touch with you? Mobile Family RV Center. Dot com. Dot com. Very yes, good. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. And good luck in 2020. All right. Well, thank you for your time. And if you need anything else, feel free to call me. Paul Witherspoon fell into a lucrative career right out of the military. It was so successful that his son decided to follow in his father's footsteps to become a mobile RV technician as well. Although Paul taught himself how to do many of the RV repairs many years ago, he has since come to realize how much more important and how much more beneficial it is to get formal training on current components. He really stressed the need to run an ethical operation. That's an unfortunate side effect of the current market for RV repair. Demand for service outweighs the supply of technicians. As a result, some questionable characters slip into the market and provide substandard repairs. Yes, it works to Paul's benefit because he and his son can go in and clean up the mess other technicians create, but it also gives the RV industry a very bad name. Paul realized that his name was very important and he has worked hard to protect it. As a result, it has paid off very well with a successful business that is big enough that he can employ his son. He also champions the need to become a well-rounded technician, not just someone who focuses on one or two components. That's an even bigger money maker because he can complete a variety of repairs and offer better service by fixing many things at the same time. I also liked his advice to open a separate savings account and squirrel away a percentage of every job's income into that account to cover taxes and ensure money is available to constantly reorder parts. He's got a great business, and a lot of it has to do with the education he received from the National RV Training Academy in Athens, Texas. The Academy's one-week live training or home study course will teach you everything you need to know to fix about 80% of the problems people experience with their RVs. You can also sign up for additional training to become an RV inspector, campground technician, or to provide mobile RV service. For more information, visit www.nrvta.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Work Camper News, a magazine and online publication that connects RVers to full and part-time jobs around the country. Whether it is running a business from your RV or working short-term jobs for a variety of employers, Work Camper News can give you information to help you plan a course to live your own dream and get you on the road faster than you thought possible. For more information about opportunities to live, work, and play in your RV, visit www.workcampernews.com. That's all we have for today's show. We'll see you next week for another episode of RV Tech Talk. Thanks for listening.